of Sensible Chat. I'm your host, Sensible Bobby, YNAB certified budget coach, Ramsey Solutions master financial coach, and registered tax preparer with the California Tax Education Council. I recently had the chance to chat with someone who has a lot of experience on the emotional side of money, and I wanted to share that interview with you today because most of my time on this podcast has been spent talking about the nuts and bolts of budgeting, how you do it, the process, and that is very important. But the emotional side is just as important, and I dare say it's the first step that you need to take before you get into the nuts and bolts. So I'm going to share that interview today, and I hope you learn as much from it as I did. Today, we are joined by Monique Beauchamp. She is a marriage family therapist and Navy veteran who worked for the DON for 48 years, which included six years on active duty as a hospital corpsman, 38 years civil service, and 10 years as a contractor. During her 48-year career, she also provided financial counseling for active duty personnel. She retired in December of 2022, and now she's living the good life. Monique, welcome to Sensible Chat. Thank you, Bobby. Let's talk about what started your interest in financial management, financial literacy, however you want to call it. Yeah, that's a great question. So I had a very good friend that was much older than me who took me under his wing many, many, many years ago and said, you really need to start planning for your future. You need to start putting as much money away in your 401k that you can possibly manage every month. And you need to keep doing it year after year after year and do not buy into you have to have all these things like a new car, new house, you know, all these things. He was just such a great guy. Then my husband passed away and I went immediately to him and I said, hey, I need some help. And he actually sent me to a financial planner and that's how it all started for me. But I didn't get the budgeting piece. I only got the investment piece. So I struggled with the budgeting piece for years and years and years until about maybe seven or eight years ago. That's when I really took a stand, made some changes, and now I can honestly say it was the best thing I ever did. Isn't that interesting how that piece got left out? And it seems like it does get left out a lot of times because we think about planning for retirement. I mean, those of us who think about planning for retirement and a lot of people miss that piece early on. But even if you get that piece, it's always about the future and there's not that piece now. Most of us fall into that trap, so it's pretty normal. But did your financial advisor ever talk to you at all about that or was it just not even part of the conversation? You know, it's interesting. He did talk to me about it and I actually did get a CPA and I set up this monthly courier service where I would put all my receipts in an envelope, send them to her, and then she would do all my financials. She would put everything in a spreadsheet. I had no idea what she was doing. I thought that was a budget. I thought that was managing my money. But it really wasn't. And I just was so lost. And then the relationship just kind of fell apart because she chose to move on and do other things. And I thought, wow, that was a waste of money. Now, we've talked before and you said that growing up, you had a belief that you were going to be a bag lady for the rest of your life. 
Where does that come from? Well, actually, it came from my dad. My dad only went to school to the sixth grade, but he was brilliant with numbers. And he would do all calculations in his head. He owned a restaurant and he was just a smart man. And he always would get on me about numbers. And I wasn't that smart with numbers. And he told me that if I didn't get smart with numbers, that I would be on the streets as a bag lady. Now, I don't know if that was a scare tactic, but I will tell you as a small child, you hear that and you go, oh my God, I'm going to be a bag lady. So I want you to know that I spent money like being on the streets like a bag lady. That was a belief. It was ingrained. And it's amazing how our parents mean well a lot of times, but you don't know how something's really going to stick with somebody that really wasn't meant to be that extreme. Absolutely. So that's certainly one of your negative emotions around money that you grew up with. As a therapist, what do you find? You know, you were somebody also who was coaching people that were coming out of active duty in this. And so much of our money issues come from the emotions that are attached to it. I mean, money's just a tool. It's a piece of paper, but there's so many emotions wrapped up in it. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of people that I work with, it's amazing how that piece comes into it because I thought in the beginning, it's math. It's spelled out. It's doable. And that's true. But when we let our emotions get in the way, like we all do, and certainly when it comes to money, it's much harder than just the math. So what do you think are some of the most common negative emotions surrounding money that you see? Guilt is a huge one. Fear is another one. Shame is another one. And you may look at this word as a positive, but people who have pride, because they don't want anybody to know the deal. They don't want anybody to know what's really going on with them. So these are some of the main feelings. There's a lot of other feelings that people have, negative emotions, and even sometimes positive, but mostly negative. The other thing that I think is so important is that self-fulfilling prophecy that I'm going to be a failure. Mm. So if I start out, Going and trying to do this budget or work on my money, is this going to be another failed attempt at me managing my finances? So I think even the smallest change can be overwhelming to somebody because it's big. Like you said, though, numbers are just something on a piece of paper. It's really how much we value money management, but also it's our beliefs that really kind of fuel how big they get the numbers on the paper. These things really keep us from taking action. So how do we kind of knock those out so that they don't stop us or at least push past them when we feel them? That is really a great question. I'm very much into taking negative thinking and actually diffusing it. And reframing is a huge technique you can use. Reframing the feelings that one has, the negative feelings about money We all have negative thoughts because that's what our brain does. So what we have to do is reframe what's going on in our lives with money. For instance, here I am going down the same road again in that bad neighborhood with my thoughts. Okay, so I use a lot of reframing and humor. And then I say, okay, I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to pause and I'm actually going to look at my numbers on the paper or I'm going to look at my accounts and it's going to be okay. I just need to step back, pause, and look at it in a more positive way. 
That is such a fantastic way to put that because, you know, when I finally looked at my financial situation, it was so much less daunting than I had made it out to be in my mind. I actually felt like a fool because I could have tackled this years ago if I'd realized how doable it actually was. And it was really just me that was getting in my own way. Yeah, it's really the beliefs and the attitudes and the feelings associated with that. I think it's really critical that somebody changes their thinking, become more positive, and then people are going to act differently when they have more positive feelings versus a negative feeling. So let's talk about removing shame because buyer's remorse is a huge thing. And just the shame that we feel in most of our money choices, even when we have money, a lot of times we feel shame about it. So how do we remove that shame? It's a process. And I would say that accepting our shame, it's needed for the process, of course. But I think the really one word that comes to mind is self-compassion. As human beings, we don't have a lot of self-compassion and being gentle on ourselves is a way to begin to release the bondage of shame and really understanding our relationship with money is a must. We have to understand how we deal with money, some of the feelings that money brings up for us. And I think as one puts it on a piece of paper, you can't avoid it when it's on a piece of paper. Right. And really getting down to the nitty gritty of, wow, this is really how I feel about the money. You know, a lot of people feel shame around seeing a therapist or seeing a counselor for any number of reasons, but specifically about money. And I know that that's, you know, kind of a newer area, too, is financial therapy or, you know, whatever it might be called. But what would you say to the people who find shame or embarrassment or hesitancy in doing that? Because to me, therapy can be seen as just like another tool to break down whatever barriers are in your life. Well, if they're hesitant about it, I would say, what's the worst thing that can happen? And what is the greatest thing that can happen? Absolutely. And how, if I had a ruler in front of me and you're a 10 feeling about your shame, guilt, whatever, not letting anybody know about your a therapist, not letting them know about your financial problems, how would you actually move yourself back down the ruler closer to one? What would you do? What one change could you do today to make yourself feel a little bit better from a 10 to a one? They can do this for any problem, but it gives them a visual. It gives them an opportunity to take a look at themselves in a different way. I love that idea because it puts the power in their hands. You know, so much of the answers that we get now or the solutions are like uphill or something else that's in somebody else's hands. We're waiting for somebody to fix the problem. And I love that you provide ways for them to think it through and fix it for themselves. Now, I love this idea that you have an ROI for spending. How do you identify your ROI for spending and what is that to you? Well, ROI, return on investment. Right. So I love ROI and I think about my value, my values really. And what means a lot to me may not mean anything to anybody else, but I'm a cancer and cancers love their home and I love my home. So one of my main priorities was and is still making my home the best place it can be because that's where my sanctuary is. So I remodeled my bathrooms. Now, I saved enough money to remodel my bathrooms and paid cash for everything during the pandemic. 
I actually subcontracted all these workers. They were fabulous in my house. We had such a great time. And I also got a contractor and he was lovely. And what I saw over time was how my ability to save that money over a three-year period, I saved it. It was put to good use. And when the bathrooms were done, I walked in there, I go, wow, this is like getting a facelift. I mean, my bathrooms are so beautiful. They're like luxury spa, high quality bathrooms. Now, mind you, I decorate really nice. So, I mean, that's a plus, right? right? And I got a lot of good bargains. So I love bargains. And the other return on investment for me is my number one person in my life. And that is my dog, Wyatt. Nice. He's a little rescue pug. And I set aside money every month for his daycare because I don't like to leave him alone. And, you know, his daycare is my value and my responsibility to make sure that he's okay. So he's well taken care of or code name for that is he's spoiled. So, (laughs) But that's great that you really see that as, you know, a return on your investment because we're all in charge of how we spend our money. And you're right. You know, the things that are important to you may not necessarily be important to others and vice versa. But it's so great that you really know what you want and put aside money intentionally in those areas because that's what it's all about, right? I mean, if you had put all the money for that remodel, if you had taken out a loan or put it on credit cards or whatever, how different would you feel about it when you walked in there? Would it be the beautiful luxury spa that you can now enjoy because it's yours, it's paid for, you planned for it for a long time and thought about it for a long time and everything versus having to stress about all of the money that you owe because of what you're looking at? Absolutely. There's such emotional freedom and emotional death, if you will, whatever side the coin is on. If you're debt-free, you're happy about what you've just accomplished. If you are in debt, there's so much stress and strain and pressure and psychological strain, anxiety, all those feelings. It does not make the project fun. And then you walk in there and go, now I got to pay for it. I don't want to do that. So how did we get so twisted around? I mean, I imagine that it took self-discipline to put aside that money for three years and not do it, even though you might have wanted it right away. How did you go about tackling those feelings? Because, you know, we all have things that we're just so tempted by. It's so easy to fall into it. I mean, our society's made it so easy just to pull out that credit card. What kind of things do you do when you get hit with the temptation bug, I guess, for lack of a better word? Well, the first thing I did was, is I actually got a, a financial coach who had you know, the same qualification as you do, you know, YNAB and Ramsey. So that was really a big, huge step for me. Like, oh my God, I'm going to let somebody into my checking account, or I'm going to allow this person into my credit card because I was like, yeah, I'll just put it on credit. Not that I didn't pay it off, but there was no rhyme or reason to the money. And so it's the accountability. That's what really sold me because being in the military, you have to be accountable and it's very organized. You have to answer to the superiors, if you will. So having somebody, not that she was like a sergeant major in the Marine Corps by any means, but it was my feeling of, I didn't want to disappoint her. And then fast forward, I met you and it was a great journey as well. And it was just like the fine tuning of, well, I don't understand this. And so it was more accountability and fun at the same time. So when I saw all of my debts get paid, 
The only debt I have now is my home, which I'm trying to pay off quickly. That's my last debt. So how can you not love it? Yeah. And it feels great going towards that goal. It's so exciting. Every month I look at how much I owe on my house. It's like, okay, go down, go down, go down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Eliminating debt is a lot more than just the numbers game. It's about breaking free from experiences and or habits that we have ingrained. And so that takes a while to do. And when you are debt-free, once again, you got that emotional liberation, but you have to be aware of what your habits are. You have to be aware of your beliefs. So I think that's the number one thing is to get to that coincide with a financial coach is vital. Emotions are like a wave. And if I said to you, I want you to go to the beach, I want you to go into the water to your knees, and I want you just to stand there. And what happens when a wave crashes over you, right? And that's what our emotions do. Our emotions become really big and they will come over us like a wave. And if you don't have halfway decent coping mechanisms or coping skills, spending becomes the way that people self-soothe. They go out and they incur more debt and they go, this is what I hear all the time. Can't take it with you. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but you're $200,000 in debt. Who wants that? So once again, it's about liberating yourself from the habits, the experiences that are ingrained. And isn't it funny how when you're on a diet and you're trying to make better eating decisions, When you feel bad and you eat, and then you feel bad that you ate these bad foods, which causes you to eat even more bad food because it's almost like, you know, you're eating for comfort and yet you have these shame feelings. It's like a vicious cycle. And it's the same thing with spending. We're ashamed that we're in debt, but there's a lot of retail therapy that goes on that puts us more in debt because of our bad feelings about debt. Where does that vicious cycle come from and how do you end it? That is a very, very hard cycle to end. It's really about awareness. So when you start to have those big feelings or whatever those feelings may be that you eat over or even spend over, one has to stop and pause and say, what's going on with me right now that I want to go eat? What's going on with me right now that I want to spend money? What's the real issue? What's the real problem? Is it because I'm angry at my husband? Is it because I'm angry at my children? What need am I not getting met? Now, quite different than the wants, but no, what down to earth need is not getting met right now? And how can I do that for myself? And so that really breaks that cycle of addiction, if you will, because food and, and money can be very addictive. There's destructive habits and then there's also the addiction. That's amazing because once again, you've put the power back into people's hands. And a lot of us, when you think about it, ignore ourselves because if I'm feeling something like, okay, do I want to sit and say what feeling isn't being met? Do I even want to talk about that with myself? Not really because it it doesn't feel good, right? So instead, I'll just ignore it, shut it off and go do something that's even going to destroy me more. So it's very easy for us to fix, if you will, or start tackling for ourselves if we have the courage to do it or somebody to help. And that's why we reach out to people like you who can walk us through that mental part of it. Maybe part of what you do is reintroducing people to themselves. That's really a beautiful way of saying it is that people, when I ask them and I ask them this question quite often, I go, what is your inner cloth 
made of. I want to know everything about what makes you the person that you are, that you know about yourself today. And a lot of people can't. They don't have the words. They don't think they're worthy. They don't think they deserve things. Their self-esteem is low. They want to change their feelings. People have addictions because they don't like the way they feel. They're going to change it with the substance. Money being one, food being another, alcohol, shoe shopping, retail therapy, as you call it. We have a complex relationship with money. We don't need to, but we do. Because what our society says, what our parents tell us, what our friends tell us, what the car dealership tells us. Oh, yeah. That you got to have all those extras. Yeah. Before you know it, you got a $100,000 vehicle, right? So we assign a meaning and we weight things that we buy. And that weight, whatever that may be, like driving that really nice car, doing anything to get into that $700 a month payment, but I'm cool. Well, there's an emotion that's attached to that. I'm going to be cool. It's a very complex relationship. It doesn't have to be, but we, like I said, assign it. The other thing is, I think before anybody makes a financial decision, I ask them, one, do you have the means to do it? And two, what are the feelings associated with making this decision? Is it trepidation? Is it joy? Is it freedom? Well, whatever it may be, I want you to write it down. And I really, really want you to think about, do you really need this item? And that's like giving them a pause before they make this purchase. And take somebody with you when you make a huge purchase so not to be talked into all these other items. But I think in order for us to make sound financial decisions, we have a rational brain. We have the thinking brain. We have the logical brain, and then we have the emotional brain. It's called the monkey mind. We need to not think out of the monkey mind, but we need to think out of the thinking brain, the logical brain, about how are my financial decisions going to affect me today and later on in life? And are they aligned with my goals and values? That's one of the pieces that gets lost so much because people, you know, they're in this rat race, right? And they're like, no, 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 I don't have time to think about that right now. But it perpetuates itself because if you don't think about what's aligned with your values and everything, one day you wake up and you go, why am I working this job like a zombie every day of my life? And I'm always so tired and I have nothing to show for it. And how did I get here? What am I even doing? We need to stop and think about why we're doing what we're doing because we're not here to struggle and be miserable all the time, right? I mean, if we're working, it should be towards something joyous. Interesting you said that because that is one of the money traps that we get into, the mindsets, that overworking at a job that I don't like, that probably is not paying you very much, but that is really, if I work harder, I'm going to get more money. Well, no, because you're so dissatisfied with the job. It's like, oh, get me out of here. Yeah. What you said was priceless. I've lived it. Yeah. It took me a long time to wake up from it myself. And what was the return on investment for you staying in that job? That's what I had to look at is, am I really getting anything out of it here? But when I looked at it, I thought, okay, my return on investment for staying at the time was I couldn't afford to get out because of my debt. I was looking to something else, another job to save me from the job that I didn't like, but the money wasn't there. So I couldn't be saved, but I found out I could save myself by destroying the debt and then having a choice. So it was worth pulling back and looking at what I really wanted 
Because yes, I had to sacrifice in the moment, but knowing what I really wanted in the future, now I'm here and I have so many more choices. I'm not a slave anymore. And it was just that small tweak of your attitude. And what happened was I think some of that denial, and of course, denial is not a river in Egypt, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Denial, it's in your wallet, right? I love that. Yes. Denial is in your wallet. And that is a method of self-protection. Boy, and if you're in denial, trying to protect yourself from the truth that is too painful for you to accept, you know, at that given moment, that's what you did. So you tweaked it and you actually took the blinders off, but managed to go ahead and stay there with the goal in sight, because what you did is a reframe. You reframe the problem, your dissatisfaction, you reframe that. Problem solving 101. Yeah. And it worked because I could have stayed there another however long being miserable or stayed there however long to reach a certain goal. I've learned that a lot. You know, reality is what it is. And however you choose to look at it is going to help you through your day, your life, your future, whatever it is. You can either look at a situation as devastating to the point of no return or a setback that you have to do something about. Because either way, it's there, right? I mean, if you get in a car accident, your car is wrecked. Now you get to decide what to do about it, but you can't change the fact that your car is wrecked. Mm -hmm. So which way are you going to go? Let's talk about some of the other steps to address denial. I think denial is a spectrum. And what it can do is, and you know this in the financial world, that people, when they have debt, is they have these avoidant behaviors, like changing the topic, Not looking at a bank statement, not answering the phone when creditors call. How about hiding money from the family or better yet, a spouse or a partner? And once again, it goes back to that statement. I hear it all the time. Well, you can't take it with you or I will get more money somewhere. I hear that a lot. So first step in addressing denial is awareness. You've got to figure out if there's a problem. Can't do that when your head is in the sand. So there may be a foreclosure, maybe a bounced check. Spending is out of control. Family member cuts you off financially. The rituals with their money, right? Sure. Next, list the negative consequences if you do not take action to clean up your finances. Eviction, children not being able to eat, no money for medical, your pets get sick, you get sick, your car breaks down. Have them make a list. Next one. Go to somebody who can challenge your thinking and offer you another perspective, financial coaching. I understand when people are in debt, they don't want to spend the money on financial coaching. But I will tell you, spending that money up front in the long run will help somebody if they are willing to change the way they behave around money, how they operate. And open up to a trusted friend or a loved one. That's another one. You can get some therapy. Go to a support group. You know, identify irrational beliefs about money management or the situation that one is in. I love the money apps that they have, like YNAB. I love YNAB. You know, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) For some people, though, they may need a support group such as, you know, Debtors Anonymous because their finances are really out of control. And I will tell you with Debtors Anonymous... They will put you in lockdown about your money. And they are so meticulous about these are the steps you take. We will give you the world, but you have to be willing. There's, I think, a very spiritual foundation with Debtors Anonymous. 
That's really great that, you know, it can be so strict, if you will, but at the same time, so supportive. I think you need that when you're in that kind of situation, you know? I mean, talk about accountability on steroids and you need somebody to kind of be that parent, but that's what a parent is, you know? They're really going to be strict on you, but they're going to love you and want the best for you. And that's kind of what that whole system is about. So one of the biggest things with financial stress is when we feel it, it can just destroy us. It can knock us down. There's a lot of things that we do about financial stress, right? Some people drink, some people turn to drugs, some people turn to retail therapy or eat, whatever. But the level of stress can either be something that we go into denial about and make our situation worse, or it can just make us crumble completely. Or we can find a way to get past that stress. So how can we feel a wave of stress or shame and still stay standing to make a good decision when we're feeling that stress? Once again, I look at the continuum. I look at my expectations. And expectations gets in the way of, I think, clearing up a lot of things in our life. So I have to remind myself that I did not get into debt in one day. Definitely. And I need to have a goal. And this is really helpful if you could help somebody is when would you like to have your first debt paid off? One. Then, you know, the snowball effect. Oh, yeah. When would you like to have the second one paid off? And then tell them third, fourth, whatever, and say, okay, I got a plan for you. The snowball effect. And they will see that if they are consistent, they're biting off manageable pieces. It's really that manageable piece that people can begin to not be so fearful and not be so shameful. Like they will get this new sense of, I can't believe I just did that. I paid that off. Yes, you did. How does that feel? Oh my God, I can't believe it. So it's really about self-talk, self-acceptance, and self-compassion. All those things sprinkled in with some practical action steps. Sure. I think that's what's so powerful. Those two things, because the things that I've heard from you is the empowerment. You give people tools to be able to do it themselves. The empowerment and the ideas. But you're right. Then what's behind that? Because for me, when I would listen to people that said, you can do it and they're encouraging, then I would always go away feeling like, okay, but how do I do it? And so you're right. That's the other piece is, you know, you give them the power to realize that they have the power to change it in their lives, but you also give them the tools to make that change. Yes. When you give them a skill, you know, an action step, problem solving step, you give them confidence In other words, they don't have it themselves. So you are feeding them. So you are creating an environment where they feel that you're safe, which by the way, you are very safe and you really understand the money management, but you understand the emotional side of it, which is a huge thing that people feel accepted and they feel valued and they feel like they're an adult and they're not being treated like a kid. So you empower them to make more effective choices, healthy versus unhealthy. I try not to use the word good or bad, unhealthy and healthy, effective or non-effective. There's a negative slant on those words 
And I will tell you, people will take that and run with it. Just like my dog, when he doesn't want to come to me, he runs the other way. (laughs) With that tail just going like crazy. (laughs) So how do we know whether we have a money addiction or if it's just simply bad habits that we can easily change by making different choices? Because a lot of us tend to think we have a bigger issue than we do. We can blow something up way out of proportion and others of us have a way of kind of downplaying the situation. So how do we know the difference? Well, you know, a habit versus, so an addiction is really is a habit already that has really spun out of control. And it's something that gives us pleasure for a little while. Then it makes us feel really bad. The piece that I look at is unable to stop the behavior. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter what parameters I put around myself, it's destructive behavior. It's behavior that really is out of control, but there's an obsessive compulsive piece to it where the destructive behavior, if somebody spends money to alleviate their internal suffering, okay, because it shuts everything out, it quiets the negative inner voices. A prime example of this is how about taking a credit card and racking up money on a credit card? Now, if somebody put them in you know, lockdown, okay, they can stop. However, somebody who is really addicted to the ritual of using that credit card, ritualistic behavior with money can become very addictive. I think the most important thing to know is that it's kind of something that we have to see in ourselves and be willing to admit to and really be real about because you're going to be the only one who knows for sure whether this is an addiction or something that you can control on your own. Yeah. And I think addiction too really creates isolation. And it's interesting that when somebody's already shameful about their money management skills and they become very addicted to what they're doing, the isolation, I think, becomes even more so where you don't want anybody to know what you're doing and you will do anything to cover that up. Think about an alcoholic or somebody who is also closet eating and they don't want the family members to know, yet their behavior is so out of control, but their emotions are out of control too. So the family goes, what's going on here? They're looking at going, something is inherently wrong here. What is it? But they don't see any outward signs of it because people become sophisticated at hiding the parts of themselves that they don't like. You know, we hear a lot of people talk about money beliefs and where our money beliefs came from. How is that going to help me change my financial habits today just by identifying where my money beliefs came from? Why is that important? If you can identify those beliefs that you have been in prison with for your entire life and to be able to change that belief that keeps you trapped in negative behavior, Eureka. But a lot of us don't even realize. Exactly. That is why the questions are asked by a financial coach, by a therapist. That is why it's so important to have outside help because you can get at those beliefs. I would have never got to my beliefs if I hadn't been asked the hard questions. Mm -hmm. I never thought about them. So the beliefs are those long held ideas about something and oneself. And they can be very ingrained. And so once we have identified them, what do we do about it? I mean, how do we take the financial beliefs that have been ingrained in childhood, if they've been there that long, how do we go about changing those and benefiting from the change? Well, first of all, you have to really look at what your money scripts are. For instance, money avoidance. This is a general belief that money is bad. 
money worship means money on a pedestal that fuels that happiness, money vigilance. Ultra wealthy people sometimes like a bargain. They protect their capital, don't want to underspend. They're hyper vigilant. That may lead to their financial anxiety or reluctance to overspend. How about money status equates self-worth with their net worth? So these are some of the areas that I would ask, you know, where do you fit in with some of these money scripts, if you will? The other thing is, once again, seeking help from a financial coach, right? Who could help tackle those overwhelming feelings about developing a budget? Because you're going to have to have a budget. How about listing all your income and all your bills? And this will give you a snapshot of where you're at. That is a reality check. Definitely. You know, I did my Excel spreadsheet and every month I changed a little bit where each dollar is going to go based on upcoming money events, if you will. Just the awareness of that budgeting to the penny, free. Yeah. Have it or don't have it. People also, I ask them, why not take an online budgeting course? You know, find a budgeting buddy. Mm -hmm. Say no to overspending. Yesterday I was in the exchange. I saw the cutest jacket. I went right to it. I put it on. I walked around the store a little bit with it. And I looked at the price tag. It was 168 bucks. I did not put any money in my clothing category this month. I go, I do not have 160. I do have $168, but I don't. Based on my goals, my vet. So I put the jacket back and it was like I was mourning the jacket when I left. But I didn't do any impulse buying. That's really what it is. Say no to overspending in that impulse buying. And if you have a partner, this is really hard. What if your partner is not involved in the money? And this is where you butt heads. So you have to figure out how can you budget money for the family and then address what's going on together as a couple. So once we have figured out what our money limited beliefs from childhood are, we've kind of knocked those out, found ways to put better scripts into our minds and things like that. You know, so many of our financial lives are out of control simply because nobody has ever put any direction into their financial life. So what are some small steps that people can take to begin taking action to construct the financial life that they actually desire, which you can take financial out of there just to construct the life that they desire? The very first word that comes to mind is know thyself. You know, this is a famous saying, which I have used to uncover and repackage my skewed mindset and unhealthy relationship with money. So I really learned to take baby steps with the self-sabotaging behavior to really reach financial literacy. And I believe that I'm financial literate now. First of all, the thing was, what does the word budget mean? And so the word budget to me meant death. It meant restriction, shame, lack, failure. It meant I had to learn how to subtract. I had to learn how to balance a checking account. You know, my budget is one thing. My checking account is another thing. And that was hard for me. So it's really about budgeting. Then planning for my retirement. What am I going to do now for my retirement? Manage my debt. Do not make any more debt. And then track my spending. That's just to name a few. But I got into a financial pickle, as I'll call it, where I invested in the purchase of a apartment building. And come to find out after careful researching 
is the gentleman that sold us the apartment building was actually involved in many shady deals. And so I was paying two house payments, one on my home and then one as part of being an investment group with this apartment building. We were supposed to get paid every month. We never received any checks, but one check for $1,200. And so I almost lost everything. So you can't do these get rich quick, quick things. Yeah. And also, and not believe all of these people that are on the YouTube or TV that they're going to make you more financial solvent. No, right. it's the basics. When you budget, what are your categories? What do you have? You have yearly, monthly, bi-monthly, you know, biannual, whatever it is. So it's a picture, a snapshot, so important. And it really helps you know thyself what's important. I think that's the biggest thing is if we can figure out what's important in our lives and then take what we have and put it towards those things. I've heard a lot of people say, I don't have enough money to budget. And my thing is, well, the less money you have, the more you probably want to budget because you have fewer resources that need to go into different areas. So you need to really be focused. But at the same time, I hear people say, oh, you know, I've got so much money, I don't need to budget. And I've seen millionaires go broke, you know, so I've learned that it is not about the amount of money at all. It's what you do with it. It's either going to stay with you or fritter away, depending on what you do with it. And it's like your return on investment. Is this spending bringing you joy or is it bringing you down? I mean, that's the bottom line. And that's what a budget does is help you move your money in that direction. And I love that return on investment too, because travel is one of my huge categories that I budget for every month. And I did a little uh, recon on my YNAB reports about how much money I've spent on my traveling. And I was floored how much money I I spent. And I had budgeted, but I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to check it, right? But I still have to tweak all the time when I become a little bit more lax, you know, where, oh, I'm just clipping along. Things are going great. No, I have this vigilance on it because if I return to those old habits, I don't want those old feelings. I want freedom. Freedom to me is more valuable than anything else. So I have peace of mind. I'm not in the MMA cage fighting myself every step of the way. And let me just say this one last thing. People have to make a choice. Just make a decision. And I highly recommend, I know that we don't talk about this quite often, but if somebody has a spiritual side or a religious side or a faith-based side, I say incorporate that. Don't leave that part out because that's where you're going to get your strength. If you believe, whatever you believe in, universe, God, Buddha, whatever, it's so important to use that piece. And I think people forget that. It is a human problem, but I think it goes way beyond that. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, if you believe in a higher power, whatever that higher power is, why wouldn't you lean on that for something as important and stressful and joyous and devastating? We need all the help we can get. So if you've got a higher power, go to that higher power for strength and guidance and help. And I kind of equate, you know, having a lot of debt to feeling small. Yeah. We don't need to feel small. We do not need to feel small any longer. And once you open up your heart and your mind and you have willingness, trust me, things will even out and you will never imagine a life of freedom, financial freedom, unless you try it out. Wow. I love that. 
You are so full of great ideas and calming statements and empowerment. I love that about you. Thank you so much, Monique, for all of your time today and all of your knowledge. It's been fantastic talking to you. I imagine that you have helped quite a lot of people since getting your master's in counseling psychology in 1988. And I'm glad that you put a financial piece into this because it's such an important thing. And, you know, it kind of seems like it's becoming more mainstream now, the idea of financial wellness. And I think it's taken way too long. So I'm glad that there are people out there like you with a lot of experience in psychology that are qualified to put that piece in place as well. Monique, thank you again so much for being with us today. It's just been so great chatting with you and picking your brain. You have so much knowledge to offer, and I'm so honored that you would come on the podcast with me. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Bobby. I'm glad you had me. It was absolutely a great day. Thank you. I hope everyone listening learned as much as I did. And if you're interested in working with Monique, send me an email and I can put you in contact with her. My email address is bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com. That's sense as in dollars and cents, ablechat.com. And don't forget to visit sensiblechat.com to find a bunch of free resources, listen to past episodes of the podcast, and book your free budget consultation with me. Thanks so much for joining me today. And until next time, remember, do the math, live the life. That does it for this episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. Links for all the resources mentioned can be found at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. While you're there, find your favorite app to be sure and never miss a show. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to Sensible Bobby through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Thank you.